0: Evidence and Answers. There's a lot of concern about the COVID vaccine today, but how does God's providence fit into the picture of pandemic vaccines? What are some lessons we can learn as we go through this crisis? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast with your host, Pat Zukren. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today on our show, Pat and his guest, Dr. Fazal Rana discussed the facts of the COVID vaccine and God's handiwork during this moment in history. Now, let's conclude this interview. People are being very, you know, highly vigilant about the response that people are
1: having to these vaccines and are taking very seriously any potential side effects. Because again, about 7 million doses of the J&J vaccine have been given out. And we're looking at probably less than 10 people that have had blood clots, at least this is what's been, you know, what's been reported. There may be more people that have had blood clotting issues. And this is what's, you know, being investigated at the moment. But that percentage, you know, let's say 10 out of 7 million is almost in the noise. And yet, because of these, again, people that are developing blood clots and that association with the, you know, the J&J vaccine, and the fact that it's being paused and investigated to me suggests that people are being extremely vigilant. And from my understanding, only one person has died from the blood clotting. So I find it hard to believe that a lot of people are dying and this is being scrubbed off the internet or being suppressed. Because if that was the case, we wouldn't see the J&J vaccinations being halted.
2: Yeah, that's a good point that you bring up there. And, you know, one of the things that we want to do here with evidence and answers is to have people you know not living in fear or according to misinformation, but according to the truth that that is out there, so we want to clear away some of the misinformation that is out there now there 's information i 've heard several preachers I think the Catholic Church has been debating this issue as well that Johnson and Johnson, even Pfizer and Moderna, and others made the vaccine from aborted fetal tissues of human embryos. Is this correct? How true is this?
1: It's not correct, but it's a little bit more complicated than than just simply saying it's not correct. With the Pfizer-BioNTech and the Moderna vaccines, there were no human cells used whatsoever to actually develop the vaccines. There are no human cells that are needed to produce the vaccines. The only human cells that were used were in confirmatory testing and really a handful of experiments to make sure that the vaccine did what it was supposed to do inside human cells. And so, you know, to me, the Pfizer-BioNTech and the Moderna vaccines, again, there's no, in in my view, no ethical concerns with these vaccines from a pro-life position. Now, the J&J vaccine and the AstraZeneca vaccine are adenovirus vaccines that did require the use of human cells to develop them, the use of human cells to test them, and will require the use of human cells to produce them. It's just endemic in the nature of of these vaccines. Now, this is where things get a little bit into the gray zone, is that the human cells that are used to produce the J&J vaccine belong to a cell line called the HEK293 cell line. And this cell line was actually developed from uh, kidney cells taken from an aborted fetus. But this act was, took place in the early 1970s. According to the story, there was an elective abortion that took place in the Netherlands in 1972, somewhere around that time. And then after the abortion took place, so the abortion wasn't motivated to provide fetal cells for researchers, but the abortion was motivated to terminate a pregnancy that after the abortion took place, researchers isolated fetal cells from the kidney of the embryo, fetus, I'm sorry, and then used those cells to develop this HEK-293 cell line. And then once you have the cell line established, and these are called immortal cells, they can undergo reproduction over and over and over again. There were essentially countless numbers of cell generations that have been produced and distributed all over the world these are cells that are commonly used in biomedical research and so you're not technically using fetal cells but you're using a cells that are part of the cell line that were indeed derived from from fetal cells about 50 years ago so there was a, a singular abortion that ended up uh, providing the cells that were used to produce these cell lines now the debate that taking place among Ethicist in the Catholic Church, as well as Protestant bioethicists, is if you receive a and j vaccine, are you complicit in the act of abortion? Are you condoning abortion? And the way I look at it is that if I, the only vaccine that was available to me was the J&J vaccine, if I refuse that vaccine, I'm not preventing an abortion from happening. If I accept the vaccine, I'm not causing an abortion from happening. And so the immoral act has been completed in the past. And so now we are 50 years later, again, using cells that were derived from that abortion. But there's no fetal cells that are actively needed on an ongoing basis to produce these vaccines. And so the Catholic Church and other Protestant bioethicists have basically reasoned that to receive a vaccine j and j vaccine is not you 're not complicit in the act of abortion, nor should you be viewed as condoning abortions and so in a sense, the immoral act was the abortion itself harvesting the fetal cells from the aborted fetus was a secondary act that isn 't necessarily inherently immoral, nor is developing the cell lines or using those cells for research purposes or for the production of of biomaterials like, you know, the, these adenovirus vectors. So that's in a sense how the Catholic Church has reasoned through this. Now, something else to keep in mind is that many times we enjoy good fruits from immoral acts. And, and so the example that I've heard used is that the drug that's used to treat malaria, hydrochloroquine, was actually developed by Nazi scientists who were experimenting on human subjects in concentration camps. And so there were good fruits that came out of these horrifically immoral actions. And so the, the question is, is the doctor who prescribes this medication for somebody suffering from malaria, is he somehow complicit in the acts of the Nazi scientists? Or is somebody who takes that drug because they have malaria complicit in the acts of the the Nazi scientists. And I think we would say the answer to that is no. And so the the way I look at it is, yes, there was an immoral act that was committed that's absolutely tragic. As somebody who is staunchly pro-life, I'm opposed to abortion and, and see it as a horrific tragedy when abortions do take place. But I look at the production of the cell line and all the good that has come from the cell line as really kind of a a way to redeem an evil act where even though the act was evil, there were still good fruits that came out of it. And those good fruits, in a sense, partially can be viewed as redeeming that evil act.
2: All right, well, that's a good answer because you took time you know, to really be in depth and go through several of the uh, aspects there. So people can make a wise decision now uh, on these vaccines. You know, Fuzzy, go ahead.
1: I'm just going to say is that, the point i want to make though to kind of conclude that whole thing and i'm sorry it took so long with the answer.
2: oh no that's great
1: ultimately is ultimately you know good people who are pro-life can come to very different conclusions as to whether or not they should receive the j and j vaccine so if somebody decides for ethical issue reasons they don't want to receive the j and j vaccine i'm not going to condemn them right and i think likewise if somebody decides that they are going to receive the J&J vaccine, even knowing this, again, I'm not going to not condemn them because there are good reasons to receive the vaccine because you are protecting yourself, you're protecting your family, and you're protect the people around you. And so the common good is also a factor to consider.
2: Yeah, that's a great answer. You know, Fuzz, there's talk about herd immunity, and you know, many teach that this will come about when we get nearly 75 to 80 percent of the population vaccinated. But, you know, how does herd immunity work?
1: Well, the idea behind herd immunity is that not everybody who uh, receives a vaccine, for example, is going to be fully protected, you know, from uh, COVID-19. And there's going to be some people for medical reasons that can't be vaccinated. And so those people are, are vulnerable. But the idea is that if you have a high enough Proportion of the population that is essentially immune from COVID 19, that large scale immunity will protect those people in the population that are vulnerable because it's just simply going to prevent the onset and the spread of COVID 19. The question of can we attain herd immunity is a really good question. It may be that we never do actually attain herd immunity, it may simply be elusive in part because these new variants are emerging. This could actually frustrate attempts to attain herd immunity. And if we don't get other countries around the world fully vaccinated, even if we are vaccinated at 70 or 80 percent in the United States, because other countries of the world may lag behind, you're going to have, again, those parts of the world that are unvaccinated or not fully vaccinated risking the herd immunity that might be attained in again, in the United States.
2: Yeah, you know, my understanding is that we'll really never be rid of COVID. You know, will COVID always be with us, something like the flu, and how prevalent do you think it's gonna be? Is it gonna be something like the flu?
1: I suspect the answer is yes, that that COVID-19 is always gonna be with us, and that most likely because of the emergence of different variants, we very well may need to get an annual COVID-19 vaccine. to protect us against the different variants. There's also some concern that about how long the immunity will last uh, once we do get vaccinated. Uh, Some people think that that immunity might last only about a year. Others think the immunity might last longer. And so we may actually have to get annual booster shots as well. So COVID-19 is going to be with us, I think, sadly, for years to come. But the good news is that we now have you know, through these vaccines, the tool to help to control the spread of COVID-19.
2: You know, I just got a question flying in here uh, from a friend here. And uh, it's very interesting. I don't know if you can answer this question, but he was saying, in Fuzz's opinion, does he think that COVID was manufactured in a lab? Now, I'm not sure you can manufacture a virus. Can you? Yeah, well, you can't probably manufacture
1: the a virus as such, but right now I think most people would say that COVID-19 arose through zoonotic transfer from a bat to a penguin to then inter- being introduced into human populations. But I think it's quite possible that COVID-19 could have leaked from a Chinese laboratory because in China in, in laboratories in China, and this this work was going on in laboratories in the United States. It's called gain of function research, where researchers will take viruses from the wild and then in a laboratory they will m- genetically manipulate them to try to actually make the viruses more infectious and hmm. more transmissible. And the reason they're doing that is they're trying to understand what is it that makes a virus infectious? What makes it transmissible? And so these are called gain-of-function experiments. Hmm. And it could very well be that the COVID-19 virus was taken from a bat population, manipulated in the laboratory as as a gain-of-function experiment, and that that virus actually leaked its way out of the laboratory by maybe infecting somebody that was working on it who then carried that infection and spread it to other people. Hmm. I'm not sure if that's indeed true. But I don't think you can rule that out as being actually a possibility. I don't think COVID-19 was manufactured as a bioweapon or was intentionally released. If anything, I think it may have been a virus that was produced through gain-of-function experiments that leaked Hmm. in the laboratory. That is, I I don't think you can rule out that possibility.
2: Now, that seems to be one of the most sensible explanations uh, that I have heard. Boy, where were you when the CNN and Fox News was this was first coming out? Boy. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, I, I saw the claims early on, and mm-hmm. initially I was dismissive of them as just simply being, okay, this is, ju- this is just another conspiracy theory. But as I began to really just look into the arguments that people were making about why they thought it was something that was produced in a laboratory and leaked out, I found that those arguments were actually reasonable arguments. Now, I don't know that I'm 100% convinced that these things were, again, produced through gain of function and then released in, you know, through leaking out of the lab, but I think it's very difficult to rule that out as being a possibility. I don't think the counter arguments that I've seen completely rule out that explanation. I mean, if somebody forced me to say, what do you think is the origin of the SARS-2 coronavirus, I probably would lean towards it being zoonotic transfer. But again, I don't think you can rule out uh, huh. that it was uh, the product of a gain-of-function experiment.
2: Yeah, well, that, that sounds real reasonable. So, folks, if we find out that, indeed, that is the explanation a few years from now, remember, you first heard it here on Evidence and Answers with Dr. Fazale Rana. Well, now, <laughs> yeah, Faz, you mentioned this earlier, and I'd like you to build on it, but how does God's providence fit into this picture, you know, of these pandemics and vaccines?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I think part of God's providence is the fact that he has indeed created us as human beings with this with incredible immune systems. You know, our immune system is so complex and so elegant and so sophisticated and it's remarkable that how well it works and it's remarkable that we are really just scratching the surface in terms of our understanding of how the immune system operates. So, I see that as as part of God's providence and I think that science and the technology that results from it is also part of God's providential care for us as as human beings because we're made in God's image and God has given us dominion over the creation. We have a, a responsibility to study the world around us and to use that insight to develop technology to promote human flourishing and to mitigate human pain and suffering. And so I think that's another aspect of God's providential care for us. But I also see, again... God's hand in terms of the the timing of the pandemic and how that timing coincided so closely with, you know, the progress that was being made with these messenger RNA vaccines. Again, if if this pandemic hit just a few years earlier, we would be really in a very different position right now than we are. And so the fact that this pandemic may come to an end in just about a year, thanks to these vaccinations, I see that, again, as is, is God's providential care for for human beings.
2: So you see this pandemic coming to an end in about a year, you said?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the worst of it is going to be behind us by the time we make it into the fall. Mm. I think if we continue to vaccinate people at the rate that we are vaccinating people, I think you know, we're probably going to see life return to some semblance of normalcy as we move into the fall. You know, as we go into the winter months, there very well could be, again, another surge in COVID-19 as well as a a surge in the cases of the flu. Uh, That's not out of the realm of possibility, but I think the surges that we're going to see are not going to be nearly as severe or as frightening as the surge that we experienced this past winter.
2: Well, you know, Fuzz, uh, what other positive results came out of this pandemic? And I'm I'm asking more, you know, theological, philosophical, experiential kind of question here. You know, from what you see, what other good or positive results came out as a result of this pandemic?
1: Yeah, well, you know, to to be clear, there's been a very heavy toll that we've all had to experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, there's been a lot of pain and suffering, a lot of people have lost their lives, and so this is there's really a, very much a tragedy associated with it. But I think I'm an elder at the church that we attend, and it's forced us to, to really think through, what does it actually mean to be the church?
2: Yeah, and, and yeah.
1: Have we actually, as a church, maybe lost our way a bit in terms of how we think about the work that we do as a church and what does it means to be a community of believers And so, you know, I think that's been really good to force the church to be introspective. We've also looked at how do we continue to impact our community as a church, even though we're in the midst of this pandemic. And so it's really forced us to be far more creative about ministry and about engaging the people around us. So, you know, the church has definitely lost attendees. Churches are, you know, church attendance is down significantly. Will it ever truly recover? I don't know. But I think... The people that have remained in the church really represent a core of committed believers that I think really are have thought through in a very profound way what it means to be a church. So I see that as as being a positive, you know, and I think just from a, a scientific perspective, you know, the fact that these messenger RNA vaccines are working so well means that I think as we go into the future, our ability to treat infectious diseases, particularly viral infections, is going to be revolutionized. Hmm. We're going to have a whole host of messenger RNA vaccines that will be able to treat some very horrific viral diseases. And uh, this technology can may actually be critical in terms of cancer treatments as well. And so a lot of exciting things that I think are going to come from these messenger RNA vaccines and that technology, I think we're going to look back in history at this point in time as a watershed moment in terms of biomedicine because of the success of these vaccines.
2: Wow. Yeah, I haven't heard that before. So, folks, uh, when a couple of years from now, when this is seen as a watershed moment, remember, you heard it first right here on Evidence and Answers once again. Well, Fuss, you know, what would you say then to people who are hesitant or fearful of Getting the vaccine?
1: Well, you know, I think it's reasonable for people to be concerned, to be thoughtful about mm-hmm. you know, whether or not they receive a vaccine. But I would really encourage people to try to do as much research as possible. Be aware that there's quite a bit of misinformation that's flying.
2: Yes. Around mm-hmm. Right now.
1: Just be aware of that. Just because you read something and it seems, you know, reasonable to you, dig a little bit deeper, ask uh, more questions. But to me, I think if people are hesitant to to get the vaccine, to make sure that people's hesitancy is really based on good information, not on misinformation. And all I can say is that, you know, I'm a biochemist and I'm, of course, (laughs) I have a vested interest in whether or not these vaccines are safe and effective as somebody who is being impacted by COVID-19 like everybody else. And as I've done the work on it, I concluded that these vaccines are safe and effective. I didn't hesitate to get my first shot. I won't hesitate to get my second shot. But just because that's a decision I made, I don't want to say that people can't come to a different conclusion for themselves or for their family. But to me, my hope is that it's based on really good information, not misinformation.
2: Yeah, uh, that's one of the things we want to do here on Evidence and Answers. We want people to study and make the best decision they can based on good, truthful information, not false information there. Well, Fuzz, if people want more information on the things that we've been talking about today, where can they go to find out more information about you and COVID vaccine and the things we've been talking about today?
1: Well, if people go uh, to... Our website, which is Reasons.org, they can learn more about Reasons to Believe, and we do have uh, information there about the COVID-19 vaccine. We also have a YouTube channel called Reasons to Believe 1 that people can go to, and we also have a number of videos housed there about the, the COVID-19 vaccines as well. So those are some places that people can go.
2: Yes, and Reasons to Believe is a ministry that helps Christians integrate their faith with science. So Fuzz, tell us just a little bit about your organization, the things that you do, and, and the great staff of scientists and scholars you have there uh, on that team at Reasons to Believe.
1: Sure thing, Pat. Well, as you mentioned, you know our organization is about showing how the latest discoveries in science provide evidence for God's existence and the reliability of Scripture. And so we're trying to counteract the message that is so prevalent in our world today, which is that science and faith are in conflict with each other, that science makes belief in God unreasonable and belief in the creation accounts untenable. And so we're trying to counteract that message by showing, in fact, it's the opposite, that science provides us with reasons to believe and that those reasons can actually be used to build a bridge uh, to the gospel. So that's what we're all about at Reasons to Believe, is really trying to use science as a way to introduce people who are scientifically minded to the gospel.
2: Yes, you've been listening to our interview with Dr. Fazale Rana, Vice President of Research and Apologetics at Reasons to Believe. He's an author. He's written numerous great books and articles that we recommend. So, Faz, thanks again for being with us here and sharing that great information here on Evidence & Answers.
1: Pat, thanks for having me.
0: We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence & Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference. Give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence & Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners, or the opportunity to donate. Head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles and additional audio free to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to connect and grow in Christ, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log on at honoluluchristian.org. That's honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence & Answers with Pat Zucran.